WDEV.com. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Going up until 7 o'clock, 90 minutes of sports talk. If you want to get in, you can, as always, at WDEV Radio Brady. That's how you get in touch with me on social media, at WDEV Radio Brady. Very, very excited that in 15 minutes we're going to talk with Elias Sabayan who is the president of North Pole Hoops. So basically, Elias knows all things about basketball in Canada, especially on the recruiting side of things. Well, Brady, why are we talking to him? Because UVM basketball just got a big recruit for next season this week. His name is Sam Alamutu, and I'm very, very excited about Sam, and you should be too. We're going to find out if that excitement is justified when Elias Sabayat of North Pole Hoops joins us in about 15 minutes. So again, at WDEV Radio Brady, if you want to get in. I want to start with this, though. Only today, only in this week, rather, have I started to hear it. Have I started to hear the criticism by the Boston media of Cam Newton? The Boston media is known to be relentless on athletes, is known to tear athletes down, to frustrate them, to get inside their head, to make them want to leave. The Boston media is famous for this. But yet with Cam Newton, he has been immune from it until this week. And even this week, the crew of people talking about Cam in a negative way is still very, very small. Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, he's really the first guy I've heard to come out on record and say Cam shouldn't be back next year. This was nice. I hope that he is forever a patriot behind a Panther and he comes back to all the alumni events and he gets the due that he deserves for playing for a million bucks and being the perfect bridge for Tom Brady into and through this pandemic season that will never be repeated again. But we cannot have another year of Cam Newton past January 3rd, which is the end of the So Cam has been largely immune from media criticism and to this point. And the question is why? Why has a media market where the radio personalities, where the TV personalities, where the newspaper columnists have been so famed for how hard they are on athletes, why has Cam been largely immune from this? And I think there's really three reasons here at play. Number one, I think the media simply appreciates Cam. I think in general, the media is often good to people or has a longer leash with people who are good to them. It's human nature, right? You're going to be nicer to people you like and tougher on people that you don't. You're going to have a longer leash with people who are good to you, and you're going to have a shorter fuse with people who aren't. This is not rocket science. The media doesn't operate in a different way than any different way than you and me do. Okay? If if your best friend does something to tick you off, you get over it pretty quickly. If your worst enemy does something pretty does something to, to, to tick you off, you don't get over it ever. The media operates the same way. Media personalities operate the same way. Look, Barry Bonds was a notorious media hater, and he got treated harshly by the media as a result. 
Jay Cutler was never great to the media, and the media often called for Jay Cutler to be cut, traded, said he was a bum, etc., etc., etc. This is how human nature works. This is how people work. Cam has given the media something, and the media has appreciated it, and therefore I think he has been mostly immune from usual Boston, usual New England criticisms. He's given them personality, and he's given them content in a COVID year where you don't have a lot of the other storylines, where you don't have the feature stories. You've had Cam Newton, and you've had his personality, and you've had his content that he has provided for you. Look, this year very easily could have been a year in which New England started Jared Stidham and which New England went 4-12. and Cam has brought an energy to the franchise that has made the media's job easier, and the media, including this media member, has really appreciated that, I believe. I'm speaking for me now, but if this team's 4-12 and with Jared Stidham playing, then they are bad and they are boring. And that is the worst combination that you can be for a person who covers a team. It's one thing to be bad. I've had people tell me that they do radio in other markets. When the team is bad, the ratings are actually better because people like to call, they like to complain, they like to text in, they like to vent. It works that way in Dallas with the Cowboys. It's worked that way in Denver. I mean, the media members there, they don't care when their team is bad because bad gets everybody riled up. But you can't be bad and boring. And without Cam Newton, that's where the Patriots would be trending, bad and boring. And that is that's a death blow for someone who covers a team. And I think the media recognizes that. And the media has been appreciative of that. And the media has seen what Cam has given them and has given them an opportunity to keep their jobs interesting and their jobs relevant in an incredibly tough period of time. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like to cover a team that is both bad and boring. And luckily... For, for fans and luckily for media members around the NFL, there aren't too many teams that have been both of those things this year. There's been a lot of teams that have a storyline or have acquired a storyline. I mean, look, I th- I'm trying to think about it. Look, Cincy, they're not very good. Number one pick in the draft was playing there, Joe Burrow. And then the number one pick in the draft, Joe Burrow, gets hurt, and you're trying to forecast what's going to happen to the franchise going forward and what's going to happen to Burrow going forward. That 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 makes them interesting. They're bad, but they are interesting. Okay, Atlanta, they fired a coach very, very early. Now you've got a, a running season-long storyline. Is Raheem Morris the guy? What's up with Matt Ryan? Who are we looking for next? Those things are real storylines, and the media in Atlanta can run with them. Detroit, what's up with Matthew Stafford? We fired Matt Patricia. That's a storyline. Jacksonville's bad, but they're going to have a top three pick. The Jets are bad. They're probably going to fire their coach, and they might have the number one pick. And what happens with Sam Darnold? So all of these teams that are bad have also had interesting storylines. If the Patriots didn't have Cam, they'd be bad and boring. And that is something that no media member wants to deal with. So because the Patriots have been spunky, that's the word I kind of keep going back to, they've been relevant in the standings for the whole year, and because Cam has made them interesting with his on. That's the other thing. Cam's been honest. Cam has given them content because he said things that Tom Brady wouldn't have said. And it's no... This is no knock on Brady. Brady just was very close to the vest. He was very guarded. Cam is not like that. Cam is emotional. Cam says things. Cam is 
is willing to react and willing to put himself out there and willing to give bluntly honest assessments of himself. And that makes the media's job easier. And the media, I think, will always recognize that and always appreciate that. I asked Freddie Coleman of ESPN yesterday, I said, Freddie, why do you think Cam hasn't gotten it too bad from the media? And here's what he had to say. Because you're not Tom Brady. And people have clearly understood that following the footsteps of that shadow, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Be, to me, what he's been trying to do, and think about this, he doesn't have the playmakers that Tom Brady had. And even when Tom Brady did not have those playmakers, Tom Brady at least had that offensive line that provided him with great protection. And also Cam Newton's first year in this offense. Okay, I don't. I guess I agree a bit with what Freddie said there. I don't think, I think from a performance standpoint, any quarterback can be questioned. I think what Freddie is saying is that Brady was so perfect in that system that it's kind of stupid to go after any other quarterback and hold him to Brady's standard. So, but I think any quarterback can be, um, can be gone after. Yeah, Brady had a doctorate in the office. Cam was never going to be that, but I don't think that makes him, Cam just, oh, hey, no one's going to be Brady, so we can't go after him. The Boston media, New England media, doesn't work that way. I just think it's, again, Cam's given them things that Brady never did, real content. Media's smart enough also to know what Freddie said. Cam's been dealt a tough hand, okay? They've given him some slack, just like I have. Signing late, no preseason, no traditional training camp, lack of weapons, injuries on the offensive line, injuries to his running backs, injury to Julian Edelman. They have a tough schedule in terms that they played the NFC West, the best division in football. The AFC West is a pretty good division when you look at the Raiders and you look at the Chargers and you look at at the Chiefs. I think we all know that that factored in. I think the media has been smart and right to give Cam a little bit of slack because of those tough factors. But mainly, I just believe Cam has just continued to make their jobs relevant, and Cam has been good to them. He has embraced the media. He has embraced New England. And he has become a part of the fabric of the organization in a way that maybe you wouldn't have expected a first-year player to. Media appreciates that. Media appreciates access. Media appreciates honesty. Media appreciates real answers. And Cam has provided it. And therefore, I do think the media has gone softer on him because he has been accessible, because he has been relatable, and he is always a good quote. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Every Thursday we do it here. Time to go bring on our beloved Lucy from the Peanuts. It is Tell the Truth Thursday. Now we're really going to get down to business. Okay, looking at the Red Sox, yesterday was the non-tender deadline. A lot of different players became free agents. and We've gone through some of them already who we anticipated would be, and we'll go through more as the winter goes. Everyone's looking at that list thinking, okay, who can the who can the Red Sox gobble up? There's talks of Eddie Rosario, the outfielder who just got non-tendered by the Twins. He's an exciting player. Red Sox fans are getting on board with the idea of Eddie Rosario. And then there's a whole lot of pitching that people want to talk about. It's all justified. But make sure that when you're looking outwards at who else could come in, you're not forgetting that maybe the biggest key, the biggest guy the Red Sox need to evaluate and need to learn about is already on their team. And that's outfielder Andrew Benatendi. The guy you need to most look at is him. The guys on the outside are nice. They're exciting. They're new. They're fresh. Benintendi's the guy that really matters right now. He is arguably the most important Red Sox player for a lot of reasons next season. He should be the catalyst at the top of your order. He should 
pair with Alex Verdugo to form a really nice outfield combination, both at the plate and in the field. But we have no idea what he is anymore. He hit 290 in 2018. He hit 266 in 2019. And then didn't really even play in 2020 because of injury, and he was wiped out. We haven't even seen Ben Attendee, really, in more than a calendar year, it feels like. And the Red Sox need to know what he is. Is he the 26-year-old building block that I can have for the long term, that I can keep around and becomes a part of my next great Red Sox team? Or is he a guy that had one nice year and is a failed piece that has no long-term value to my team? Or is he a guy who I can create some value for and use to jumpstart my rebuild? Does he become a trade chip? The Red Sox need to find out things because Benintendi has a big-time bearing on what happens here. If he turns into a top prospect gone bad, then that's a uh, an unfortunate miss for the organization. Thank you for helping win the World Series, but that's an unfortunate miss for the organization. If he becomes a great long-term building block that I can keep and I can have from the time he's 23 to 35 and he becomes a career-long Red Sox player and he can be at the top of my order and play good defense for a bunch of years, then that's a huge win. If he develops enough into a guy that I can turn around and flip for a couple of prospects that jumpstarts my rebuild, then that's fine too. But Ben Attendee is hugely critical because he's either going to be a part of my team long-term or I'm going to trade him to get long-term pieces. That's the perfect scenario. They need him to be that guy. And I hope that Alex Cora can be a huge factor in getting Ben Attendee back. He needs to be a teacher to Ben Attendee. He needs to put his arm around him and unlock what was there in 2018. Because I need Ben Attendee to have value. I hope it's to me. But if it's not to me long-term, then it's as a trade piece to get me long-term value. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So, yeah, while you're looking out, while you're looking at names, while you're looking at other people's scrap piles... Remember that the most intriguing name is already there. That's Andrew Benintendi. The show is sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. When we come back, we'll talk with Elias Sabayat. Elias Sabayat, Canadian basketball expert, North Pole Hoops. He'll tell us all we need to know about Sam Alamutu, the newest UVM recruit. He's got me all kinds of excited. Is that justified? We'll get the answers on it. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Taking a break from the Patriots and our Cam Newton talk. Talk a little college basketball. And even though the University of Vermont not playing just yet, a couple more weeks until the Catamounts can open up this season, I'm already looking forward to next season because of what I saw this week. The Catamounts landed a big-time recruit out of Canada near the Toronto area where they've had a lot of success recruiting in the last couple of years. To break it down with us now is Elias Sabayat from uh, North Pole Hoops. They are the leader in Canadian basketball recruiting and covering of high school hoops and prep hoops. So, Elias, thanks for being with us, man. How are you? Happy to be on, Brady, man. Thank you for having me. I've uh, been, been good, man. Just trying to get back to normal times as, as quickly as possible. You know, yeah, I- that is the case for everybody. Um, so I was very excited when I saw your guys write up of UVM's new recruit. First off, let's get the logistics here. Sam Alamutu, am I saying it right? That's correct. 
Okay, so Sam Alamutu, like a 6'5", 6'6". You guys listen to him as a guard. Usually in the America East, 6'6", means you're a forward. So tell me, I feel excited. Am I justified in that? Yeah, absolutely, and the, and the whole community should be as well. I, I think what Vermont has here is a potential NBA prospect. I think he's the highest level prospect that that they'll see that they've that they've got. I know that they haven't got to see him in person. Um, I've been working with the Vermont staff for close to 10 years now. Um with Coach Becker, Coach Schneider, and, and even before that, uh, Chris Markwood before he left to Northeastern. So, I mean, this slew of talent that's coming from Canada, they've been able to really gobble up mid-major, mid-to-high-major prospects and and get them to be impactful uh, at the level. They've been a, Canadians have been a huge part of the success, as you know, at Vermont, and I think Sam's going to be the best one they've ever had. Wow. So that So what makes him so good? You're right up focused a lot on his physical tools. What makes him so good? Well, I think I, I gauge everybody now uh, first on mentality. I think he has the mentality um, and the discipline that I haven't seen in, in any kids his age um, with regards to transitioning his game, going from an undersized four to a three to now a two one, uh, which has been his natural position since pretty much eighth grade. Um, the, the most special things about him are his athleticism. This is a level of athleticism that the league hasn't seen before. Mm maybe has seen before, but he combines it with a guard package uh, that's able to play essentially three positions. Um, so, you know, coach is going to be able, coach Becker is going to be able to slide him in at any of those three spots and, and get major production out of him. Um, so mentality, level of athleticism and versatility. I think that those, those things make him real special. If you tell me a guy's really athletic, maybe has an athleticism above what the league usually sees, I'd say, okay, he could probably get to the bucket easily. He can probably finish around the rim easily. What about his shooting ability? Is he also a guy who can step back and shoot in a more traditional guard sense? Most definitely. Most definitely. I think he thrives best in transition. I mean, getting from coast to coast is no problem, weaving through traffic, all of that. But in the half-court set, that's his most improved area of his game is his three-point shooting. And not just being a spot-up guy, being a guy that can also create for himself uh, quite well. Elias Sabat from uh, um, North Pole Hoops talking all things Canadian basketball. Sam Alamutu, newest commit to UVM for the 2021-2022 season. You're describing to me a player at 6'6", quick and athletic. Feels like he should be in the Atlantic 10 at worst, the Big 10, the Pac-12 at best. How does he end up at UVM? So Brady, you you know, man, it's been a it's been a very weird year, um, and and since you know AAU season um, didn't really happen for a lot of Canadians. Uh, that I think stunted the amount of attention that he would have received. I think if this kid played on the Nike circuit where he was going to be playing uh, with a very you know high level program, you play Canada. Uh, he would have picked it. I don't think Vermont, to be honest with you, with all due respect wouldn't have had a chance at him because he would have had between five and 10 high major offers. Um, that's the, that's the level of kid he is, but because of the calendar and where COVID fell into play, you know, he ends up at a very respectable level Yeah, with a team that is top of their league year in year out and, you know, got a chance for the tournament, I think. Has he been playing? We know that obviously different parts of Canada have different levels of shutdown in quotes right now. Is he playing now? Where is he going to be playing for the next year until he gets to UVM? So he's at Rothsay Netherwood School, which is a very elite prep school uh, in the northeast in Canada. And he's been training. They've been running scrimmages against uh, other squads that are within the region because of the COVID situation is well managed. 
uh, in that region. Uh, so he's been getting in his reps and he's actually every day competing against really high caliber talent that is, again, still very under recruited. Uh, I'll put the name out there, Mateo Zagar. He's another kid from the 2021 class, one of his closest buddies also at 6'5", and this kid doesn't hold a single Division One offer. So he's going up, and which is nuts to me, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's going up against him every single day. You know, you mentioned you had worked with the staff at UVM for the last decade. I'm curious about how that pipeline gets established because Trey Bell Haynes from Canada, America East Player of the Year, Steph Smith, UVM starting point guard from Canada, preseason all-conference. Is this pipeline, hey, we got one, and then they're going home and talking up the program, or how, do, how does that work? Yeah, so I think the staff has done a phenomenal job of jumping on the names, um, the names that are under the radar. Uh, so, you know, when, when we connect with the team uh, mo- in the most recent years, it's been it's been Coach Schneider for the most part. Um, you know, he he jumps right on it. He he takes those names seriously because the Steph Smiths, they panned out. The Trey Bell Haynes, who also didn't hold an offer, he panned out. Um, Drew Urquhart, even from yeah. from British Columbia. This is back when when Chris Markwood was on staff. Those guys panned out. So so now I think they've really made a living in Canada off of those guys that are that could be recruited at in higher conferences but are best suited here and, in order to thrive and they've done amazing with them we have said all along when it comes to UVM hockey that they need to get back to establishing the the Canadian pipeline and with the proximity to Quebec we've thought for a long time UVM hockey needs to be back in that recruiting yard does the proximity to Canada help Vermont at all i mean Toronto Ontario is still far away but Canada in general, close to Vermont. Does that help? Most definitely. Most definitely it helps. I mean, it's a drivable uh, destination for parents are willing to do it. Parents were driving 12 hours for AAU events at places where their kid didn't even get recruited. So uh, a trip to Vermont is not far-fetched. Um, there's there's families that make it four or five times a year. Hmm. Um, so yes, absolutely. Proximity is a, is a huge factor. And I think, you know, a lot of teams in the past have recruited only Toronto and that's the biggest fable that's going on in Canada is a huge huge country it is not just Toronto if you pull up Google and you check out that map uh, I know you're more familiar with it but maybe for listeners and viewers check out the map of Canada and just how wide it is there's talent coming up all over the place and I think I think the America East in general should be diving in you know full court press is what's the I don't know. Is basketball growing in Canada? I always knew it was big, right? Steve Nash, Andrew Wiggins. There's a lot of great players from Canada, but you're talking to me like there's more and more and more coming down the pipeline. Is basketball getting bigger maybe than most people think it is in Canada? Factually speaking and according to government statistics, it's the fastest growing sport in Canada. Hmm. Um, it's been like that for the last decade. I think that I think that we're we're kind of holding on the fast forward button right now just because of the amount of success that the guys at the NBA level have had. I think the, you know, the Jamal Murray's of the world, the Shea Gilgis Alexander's, these guys are all pretty fresh to the league still, but the level of success that they're having is really making guys that are still at home recognize that if I put in the work, I I could be of that caliber. And Jamal Murray is really the standard. And I think the measuring stick for our guys, but Yes, the sport is growing at an immense rate. I think that factor has a lot to do with it. The Raptors winning a championship last season has a lot to do with it. Um, 
I mean, very under-recruited for a very long time, but it's coming in waves, man. Elias, we'll get you out of here on this. The, one of the things that stood out to me most about Sam Alamutu, we're talking about coming to UVM next year, uh, 18 points a game. A lot of guys can score at the high school level or the prep level. 12 rebounds a game at 6'6". Like, that is absurd. Yeah. So, I mean, one of he's, – he's the best rebounding guard in the country right now in Canada. Um, the, the numbers say that. Um, and then also his ability to just jump into areas – that you wouldn't think he ha- he can reach. Um, so he's going way over six eight six nine big men and, and grabbing boards and then going coast to coast on them too. His 18 points a game, that was also with another big-time player named Kellen Tynes on his team who was averaging, I think, just over 20. Hmm. And he's at Montana State this year. Um, so there was a very – it's a very balanced product at Rothsay Netherwood School. Um, Sam – if there is any kind of season is probably going to be league MVP this year. And again, I think Vermont got an absolute steal. So congrats to the, to the whole community there. Well, speaking of community, I end you with this community matters a lot to the UVM program. A lot of dedicated fans that have been fans for a long time. What kind of kid is he? Because that matters to a lot of people in this area. For sure. For sure. So one of the, uh, the major reasons that he chose Vermont uh, was the academic part as well. Uh, he's a high academic kid. You'll never, ever have to you know, question his standing there um, as a teammate. All of his teammates on any team he's played on have, have raved about him uh, because he's very easy to play with. He's unselfish. He holds a high standard for himself. And as a result, his teammates uh, also feed off of that. So he's Man, he's he's top of the line. And you'll see what I'm talking about, you know, early next season, in preseason even. Well, I'm very excited for it. We got an America East Championship to try to win this year and an NCAA tournament to get back to, but I'm already jumping forward to next year because I'm so excited about it. Sam Alamutu going to be a Catamount 2021-22 season. Elias Sabayat from uh, North Pole Hoops, Canadian basketball expert in recruiting, prep services, et cetera. Those guys cover it on an awesome level, as I've learned in the last couple of weeks. So, Elias, man, we appreciate the time and perspective. Happy to be on, Brady. Thank you for having me, man. Oh, thank you. And I'm I'm happy with everything that you just said, Elias, because, uh, I, look, you can tweet me, at WDEV Radio Brady, any other questions there, because I am floored by what I just heard. I mean, you know, we're talking NBA-caliber player coming to UVM. What we'll do, we'll step aside, we'll get a break, we'll get a top-of-the-hour update from CBS, we'll get into our takeaways as well. But we started out talking about why Cam doesn't get it from the media. Why doesn't he get it from the fans? Because they've been pretty easy on him as well. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. And thank you, Field. It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thank you to Elias Sebeyat of uh, North Pole Hoops for giving us all the insight there on future catamount now commitment or now committed catamount samuel alamutu we're going to get into our takeaways in a couple of minutes as we continue to uh, cut those up but i want to get back to kind of what we started the show with before we get to our takeaways we started the show talking about why cam newton hasn't really gotten it much from the media this year he also hasn't really gotten it from the new england fans the same new england fans that tore down carl crawford and it broken down David Price and pretty much crushed Gordon Hayward at every turn. They've been pretty kind to Cam. Media's been kind to Cam. Fans have been kind to Cam. Why? 
And I think there's a lot of different reasons for this. I really do think this is a fascinating thing to me. It's been a really unique year. This is no, I mean, this is no secret to anybody. You've lived it just like I have. I think fans not being at games is huge. Fans are nasty when they're actually in person. They've spent money at games. They've spent money on parking. Tickets are over $100. They've sat in the cold. They've gotten drunk. And when you're 400 bucks into an all-day event that's going to leave you with a hangover and force you to spend money on an Uber or pay your buddy to drive you and pay for his gas, when you're $400 into a day and you're out in the cold and you're hammered, you're going to get angry. And that isn't happening right now. If Cam Newton is playing in front of fans at Gillette Stadium on Sunday afternoon, and he's going 9 of 18 for 84 yards with two interceptions, I don't think the love affair is there. I think the, the fans are on him, and they're on him significantly if it's a normal year. But it's not a normal year. So that has bought Cam some time and insulated him from the usual fan backlash. Okay, And I think that that is a fascinating case study. A lot of athletes hate having no fans, right? They'll tell you that. They feed on the adrenaline. They feed on the roar of the home crowd. Heck, they feed on the hate from the opposing crowd. But I do think there are athletes that have probably benefited from no fans. I mean, Zach Greinke, pitcher for the Astros, he has social anxiety disorder. He came out and said outright, I like playing with no fans. I'd rather do this. Now, that's an extreme case in which there is a medical condition there. But I do think for a lot of athletes, not having fans has made things easier for them. Okay, You don't get the usual home crowd treatment when you're not playing bad. You don't get it on the road either. But you're insulated from that criticism. And I do think that that takes a, a weight off your shoulder. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton, we were talking about this for the Yankees, Yankee fans crush him. He can't stay healthy. He's too overpaid. Not enough production relative to his contract. No fans. Life a little easier for him. I think the same thing is happening for Cam Newton, but I do think Cam falls in both camps, right? If the crowd was there and Cam's playing well, I absolutely think Cam would see a huge benefit from that. Cam is an emotional player. He thrives on energy. And if the crowd was behind him and loving him and that and he's doing the Superman and the fans are doing it back, huge, huge boon to him. But when he's playing poorly and going 9 for 18 for 84 yards, or they're getting th- throttled by San Francisco earlier in the year, 33-6, to six, not having fans, huge, huge boon to him. So when we ask the question, why are fans being is going easier on Cam Newton than they have on other athletes, I think simply put, fans not being in the building has had a huge impact on how Cam is perceived by fans and how he is portrayed by fans when talking to each other. I mean, and let's not lose this either. And again, this is no knock on Tom Brady, but Cam feels relatable to fans in a way that Brady never did. And when you're relatable, you're easy to root for. Okay, it's weird to it's weird to say that that Cam feels relatable. Cam's made more money than any of us have ever seen. Like Brady, Cam dresses in clothes that we would never buy and could never afford. But Cam does feel more relatable. His emotions are relatable. Cam shows you his vulnerabilities. He speaks about his doubts, his insecurities. And that's how we all feel about things. We all have doubts. 
We all have insecurities. Most athletes, especially elite ones, they don't feel real. They feel like superheroes. That's why we have posters of them and buy jerseys. They feel invincible. They feel above us. Cam doesn't feel that way. Cam feels relatable. He feels approachable. He talks about his own doubt. He talks about questioning himself. He, the conversations that I have in my car on my way home with myself, Cam has out loud for all of us to hear. And when you're relatable, you're easy to root for. And fans, when you act and seem way above everybody else, fans can throw arrows at you. Because, hey, this guy's full of it. This guy's full of himself. Overpaid, snobby. That's not Cam, man. That's not Cam. He's vulnerable. He's insecure. He questions himself. He does all the same things that we do. You see him after the game the other day. Uh, talking to Josh McDaniels, first thing he says, kick goes through the updates, uprights, he walks over to McDaniels and says, I'm sorry, man. Feels like he lets everybody down. That is the same thing that we do. And when you are relatable, you are easy to root for, and you become likable, and therefore the fan's leash becomes a lot longer for you as well. It is hard, and by the way, it's hard to crush a guy who crushes himself. When Cam has an, an accountability about him, and when he has that relatability, it, even fans, and fans stands for fanatic, and usually they're awful, but it's hard to to pile on a guy who's already piling on himself. And that kind of leads me into number four. Cam cares. You can see it. You hear him speaking about his difficulty in New England. And New England fans, more than anything, okay, as much as they want to win, They want to know that you care because they care. They want to know that you care as much as they do, that you are invested, that you're tough, that you're trying, and that is what Cam is doing. That's the key to it all. Winning is awesome. We all want to win. But in New England, the fans want you to seem like you're as invested as they are because they're invested. They're in. They're sitting down watching 140 Red Sox games a year. They're buying tickets that are overpriced to go to Patriots games. They're waiting there for the Bruins and Canadians. They're doing it. That's how New England fans are. They want to know that you share their sentiment and that you share their passion. And Cam is showing you that he does. Think about kind of beloved New England athletes. of just, just the last decade. Okay, Isaiah Thomas loved by Boston fans. He was only here for three years. Why do Boston fans like him? He was an underdog. He overcame obstacles. He was tough. He was gritty. He was relatable to the everyday worker in New England. Tough, gritty, overcomes obstacles. Lunch pail, hard hat, let's go to work. That's who Isaiah Thomas was. Who he is. Okay? Even, and yeah, playing great helps, but even when he got hurt, and we don't we haven't seen him play really in 2 years fans want to bring him back because they remember his attitude Kyrie Irving's a better player than Isaiah Thomas Kyrie Irving for all of his quirks might end up in the Hall of Fame Boston fans New England fans don't like Kyrie Irving why flaky not committed doesn't play all the games wants to sit out Isaiah Thomas played in the playoffs with a busted hip busted it further cost himself millions of dollars may have ended effectively ended his career That's what New England fans want. They want to know that you care. 
They want to know that you're tough, that you're as invested as they are. Isaiah Thomas is and was. Kyrie Irving never was. There's a, there's a reason why there's a distance between those two in the minds of fans. Think about the Red Sox. Okay, Chris Sale and David Price, two left-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers that made make a ton of money, cost the Red Sox a great deal, sale with prospects and money, Price with, with money. They both helped the team win a World Series, and they both have pitched great at times. Red Sox fans like Sale, respect Sale. Why? Tough, hard-nosed, gritty SOB, accountable when he screws up. When he pitched bad in 2019, he's there in front of the media telling you, I suck. He's telling you, I'm the problem. Doesn't blame anybody else. It's not the offense's fault. It's not the catcher's fault. It's not the pitch calling. It's not the, the way the schedule was. It's not what the other guy did. It's not the ump. It's me. That's what Chris Sale does. That's what Chris Sale said. David Price is, the media is too tough on me. Nobody likes me. This is the problem. I'm in a fight with Dennis Eckersley. I'm calling people out. I'm deflecting blame. It's never about me. It's always about everybody else. Red Sox fans like the first guy. They don't like the second guy. Both of them pitched well. Both helped to win a World Series. One guy, a lot more likable than the other. Reason? Showing you that they care. Showing you they're accountable and invested. That's what Cam Newton's doing. And that's part of the reason why fans have given him a pass on some things. And the last reason is a, is a more simplistic reason. There's really two kind of simple reasons here also to close this point out on. COVID in general has just made people have other worries. It's not that fans don't care this year, but they do, I think, recognize there's more to life than football. In a normal year, Patriots football is everything to, to every New England fan. This year, you know what? This guy lost his job. This guy lost a loved one. This person... Um, doesn't know where their next meal's coming from. D- life is hard, okay? Life is hard this year. And I think fans are smart enough to recognize that. And Cam Newton's no touchdown to pick day is not the end of the world in the way that it was, you know, would have been in any normal year. Fans are smart enough to recognize that. Let's give them some credit for that. Life's hard this year. Certain things do matter just a little bit less. And finally... It's also hard to crush a guy who you don't have much invested in. It's almost not even worth it. Cam Newton makes $1 million and is only signed for this year. Jared Goff gets grief in LA, who's the number one pick in the draft. That guy's going to get grief. Carson Wentz gets grief in Philly. They gave up a ton to get him in the draft and pay him $30 million a year. That guy's going to get a lot of grief. Hard to crush a guy, not even worth it really, to crush a guy who's playing essentially for free in terms of NFL dollars. And it didn't cost you a draft pick. All he's done is come in and be a good soldier. All the other things I said, be likable, be relatable, be accountable, be accessible. And it doesn't cost you anything. Fans recognize that. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, we still have so much to get to we got to get to our biggest takeaways from the Elias Sabayat interview. Uh, he was talking to us about Sam Alamutu, who's the newest recruit at UVM, who's going to be here on the basketball team on the men's side coming up next season, so 2021-2022. Um, this was pretty impressive stuff. This was stuff that should have made you incredibly happy. Let me see here. Elias Sabayat 
basically said that actually he didn't basically say it. He said that he could very well, Sam Alamutu could very well be he's on his way to be the best Canadian that we have seen at UVM. And Trey Bell Haynes was here and Steph Smith was here. He added this too. I think what Vermont has here is a potential NBA prospect. I think he's the highest level prospect that that they'll see that they've that they've got. He's the highest level prospect that they've got. And this is amazing to me, truly. I don't want to oversell this. We've never seen this kid play, but we're talking about an NBA-level recruit who's coming in to UVM. Usually, if a guy from a low-major school gets to the NBA, it's because they worked their tail off and got a lot better. This is a guy coming in with a game that people are already saying could take him to the NBA. That's pretty amazing. This isn't a, this isn't going to be a feel good story necessarily where uh, the guy came in undersized and couldn't do this well and he got couldn't do that well and then he just was in the gym grinding every day for four years and he scratched out a shot. This is a guy who's coming in with that kind of pedigree and the work ethic to match, according to what Elias Sabea told us. From a from a UVM standpoint, John Becker has always said we're just looking to recruit a better version of a player we already have. It's a simple mantra. We have Trey Bell Haynes. Next time we recruit a point guard, we're looking for a little bit ver- little bit better version. Okay? Well, you had Anthony Lamb. If, if you think that Sam Alamutu is the guy who can be a little better version of Anthony Lamb, then watch out. The sky is the limit for him in this conference, and I can't wait to see it. I want to – I mean, this year – we got to have this year and try to get through and get to the NCAA tournament. But if you're a UVM fan, like next year, I'm already all in. I'm already excited for it. You hear the way that Elias Sabea talks, and he's the head. He's the president of North Pole Hoops. He is the guy in Canada who tracks recruiting. Like you see here in the U.S., you watch college football rankings, and oh, it's rivals.com, this, rivals.com, that. Like Elias is the guy. He's that guy, but in Canada. You gotta love with what he says. You gotta be in love with what he says about how Alamutu plays. I think he thrives best in transition. I mean, getting from coast to coast is no problem. Weaving through traffic, all of that. But in the half court set, that's his most improved area of his game is his three point shooting, and not just being a spot up guy, being a guy that can also create for himself. You're talking about a few things here that should really stand out to you. He's an athlete above the level that the America East usually sees. He's six six. He's 6'6 and cut. Like, that's a post player on a lot of America East teams. He's got the ability, as Leah said, to play fast in transition, to get up and down, likely to play above the rim. This guy averaged 12 rebounds a game last year in his prep league, a good prep league. I mean, he's clearly got a physical presence to him. If you're 6'6 and you're gathering 12 rebounds a game, clearly we're talking strength, Clearly, we're talking leaping ability, and we're talking just a nose and a hustle for the ball. Rebounding is about desire. I hated to rebound. I was the biggest guy on the court. I hated to rebound. Why? I didn't want to get hit. I didn't want to to to, to be rough down low. I wanted to float around the perimeter. This guy's willing to work down low, outwork people down low, and can go get the ball with determination and a leaping ability. Like Sign me up for that skill set. And you're telling me, he can shoot from the outside and create for himself. Like you can't just be an athlete, and he's clearly not. He can play three positions: point guard, shooting guard, small forward. He's six six. He's six six. He can play all three positions. That's an NBA skill set. When you can play positionless basketball, 
And by the way, it will help on defense too. Like I'm, I'm in. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I am pumped to hear all of this. The last takeaway that I had, though, I asked why, if this kid is so good, why did he end up at UVM? Why the Catamounts? Why this program? You, you, you've described to me, Elias, a guy that should be playing in the Atlantic 10 at worst and the Big 10, the Pac-12 at best. Why UVM? I think if this kid played on the Nike circuit where he was going to be playing uh, with a very you know high-level program, you play Canada, uh, he would have picked it. I don't think Vermont, to be honest with you, with all due respect, wouldn't have had a chance at him because he would have had between five and ten high major offers. He would have had between five and ten high major offers if he had done what he was going to do and play for you know Nike Canada. The reason why he can't is because everything's canceled because of COVID. And this one hits you in a couple different ways, right? One, if you're just a UVM fan, it's great, right? Like you got a great player in every team we follow. We want to have great players. And we all get excited when we find the under-the-radar player, the diamond in the rough, like Julian Edelman. That makes you feel good. Number two, it makes me feel good. I got to feel great about the commitment of the UVM coaching staff to things. Like, through a pandemic, they stayed on this kid virtually. They, I mean, that commitment that they showed him is one of the reasons he committed to them. Like, that's huge to know that your coaching staff is willing to not only go the extra mile, they're willing to go the extra two, three, four, five miles to secure a commitment. And they're tapping into new recruiting bases, and they're pushing the recruiting boundary. UVM shouldn't have you know, four kids from Indiana, but they did. They've got a kid from Oregon. They've got kids from all over Canada now. They're pushing the recruiting boundary. And you that absolutely deserves your respect as a fan to know that your coaching staff is working to bring you the best version of the program that they can and they're pushing the boundary and they're pushing the envelope and I am pumped for that but on the other side though you do feel bad for Sam Alamutu not because he didn't not because he ended up at UVM UVM is great and I'm sure he'll love it here but the coronavirus cost him and cost how many other kids an opportunity to do something he could have played at a different level but coronavirus sapped him of that. It, we already know that COVID has cost high school athletes their senior seasons, and that's heartbreaking. It's cost college athletes their senior season, and that's heartbreaking. It's cost pro athletes an opportunity to make a bunch of money, and that maybe that's not heartbreaking, but it's bad for them and for their well-being and for their family and their futures and all that. And it's cost this college kid a chance to maybe go and play it. For all I know, he could go and play at Michigan State, at Duke. I don't know, but it cost him that chance. UVM's great. I hope he loves it. I'm sure he will. You wonder, without COVID, you know, how many people would have been on him? It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, real quick, it is Thursday. We get to our second installment for the week of Know Your Enemy ahead of Patriots Chargers. It's time for Know Your Enemy. All right, I'm really just interested in watching Chargers running back Austin Eckler. He had 14 carries and 11 catches last week, 129 total yards. He came back into the lineup in 25 touches. He feels like a classic Patriot, doesn't he? He's like, he's Rex Burkhead, but better. He runs and catches. He's elusive. He's good in space. He's Shane Vereen, but better. He's Deion Lewis, but better. He's Kevin Folk, but better. He impacts the game in a lot of ways. And the Patriots linebackers are slow. 
Okay, Chase Winovich is playing more. He's been a little, you know, edge rusher, kind of outside linebacker. But Jawan Bentley's been, they've been exposed a lot in space this year. They've been torched. They were like torched by Seattle back in week two. I think Eckler presents a really big mismatch. There's a lot of good players on this Chargers team. Herbert's good. Keenan Allen's good. Hunter Henry, the tight end, is good. Eckler's good. Joey Bosa's phenomenal. There's a lot of good players on this team. I, I don't know quite how they're three and eight. But Austin Eckler is a guy who I think creates a huge mismatch. Like Gilmore can guard Keenan Allen. I'm not saying he's going to shut him down, but he can guard him. They can play in the secondary. Kyle Duggar may be able to take over the Patrick Chung role and handle Hunter Henry. Austin Eckler, I don't see how they have an answer for him. I just don't. 25 touches, and with that linebacking crew, Patriots, I think they are in trouble. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I think the Patriots win, by the way, but I mean they're in trouble with Eckler. When we come back, we'll get to our daily dose of Doug. We'll hear from Flutie. And then the next step for Celtics forward Jason Tatum. That's all next right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Thursday. WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Remember, Patriots Chargers coming up on Sunday, 1.30 with the pregame show coverage, and then 4.25 with the kickoff. We'll get the daily dose of Doug in about five minutes, but first, Jason Tatum needs to take that next step, and that next step is not necessarily just on the court. It's in the locker room as well. Tristan Thompson got introduced today as a member of the Boston Celtics, 29-year-old forward who spent his career with the Cavaliers. He says, my advice to Jason Tatum is whatever you're doing, keep doing. Don't be afraid to speak up. You've earned that right. You can light a fire under your teammate. We want each other to be the best we can be. We all hold each other accountable. The veterans are giving Jason Tatum permission to take ownership. He needs to now go with it. This is a team, this is his team in a lot of ways. He has to learn how to lead, has to learn how to grow as a leader. He's got a lot of good help on this team, okay? Marcus Smart is maybe the emotional and spiritual voice of this team. Kemba is a steadying veteran presence. Tristan Thompson brings in a lot of experience. He's played in some finals. He's won a championship. All of those guys are there to help. But Jason Tatum can still continue to grow in this way. It's going to be one of the most interesting storylines for the Celtics this season, especially given how challenging the upcoming year is going to be. No fans or minimal fans will be challenging. Continued isolation will be challenging for players. Gordon Hayward gone. One less player there you know, to help in the veteran presence department. Kemba's going to be out at the beginning of the year. This is one of the storylines for this team. Yes, Jason Tatum growing to the point where he could score 26 a night and shoot 44% from three. Like, whatever. That's all great. And it's all important, of course. But that next step of seeing him find his voice and find his comfort. I mean, when Kemba's out, it's going to be Marcus Smart, and it's going to be Jalen Brown, and it's going to be Jason Tatum. And Jason Tatum, this is his team in a lot of ways. He's got to run with it. He's got to own it. And by the way, Thompson did a good job with his press conference as well. Talked a lot about toughness, kind of similar to Cam Newton. Man, you show people you care, and people are down to roll with you. There's a lot of people on Twitter talking up Tristan Thompson today about how excited they are that he's in Boston. Kind of like the big man Marcus Smart. Dive on the floor, 
getting people's grill. Like you can you can win people over just by showing that you care and have an energy. That's what Cam's done. That's what Tristan Thompson did. Jason Tatum needs to continue to elevate himself in that locker room now to take his game to the next level. The great ones are great players, but also great teammates and great leaders who can start to pull the best out of everybody. Tatum hasn't had to do that yet in his career. He's been either too young to have that kind of power or there have been so many good players that he was able to just kind of just focus on basketball. He's getting to the point now where he's got to start taking ownership. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Daily Dose of Doug, Doug Flutie here. We got a new intro to the Daily Dose of Doug today, guys. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. Spread him out, throw the ball over the field, five yards at a time, basketball on grass, and go down the field. So let's listen to Doug. It's our Daily Dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Nice job, everybody, there. We changed up a couple of those, a um, couple of those, we call them imaging, a couple of those pieces there. So the Doug one's got the new clip in there. He says, basketball on grass, boom, 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 down the field, let's go. We got a new one, I'm told, for uh, who's saying what as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing that also. So we'll change those out every uh, little bit. So good job by the staff. And uh, let's get to this one because I knew, so I spoke to Doug yesterday, or no, two days ago, right? And we taped our podcast. We got another one coming out tomorrow. We're going to talk again. I asked him about the controversial blindside block that Anthony Jennings took on Gunnar Olszewski's punt return the other day. And everybody seemed to hate it, right? The players hated it. Zolak, the broadcaster, hated it. Field Yates, who we had on Monday, he didn't like it. My buddy who was texting me didn't like it. Twitter hated it. Like Nobody liked the call except for me. I was the only one who thought it was a good call. And I'm as pro-Patriots as they get for the most part this season. But I thought the call was right. I knew Doug was going to disagree with me. I knew this was going to be young versus old. He played. I didn't. Old school, young school. uh, Old school, new school. I knew he was going to look at me as some kind of soft millennial. I asked Doug, Doug, what'd you think of the blindside block call? It is so soft. They got to put flags on the guys and just pull the flag and say no blocking allowed. Pull the it was ridiculous. I saw exactly what happened. Guys closing on him. A great awareness to peel back and see the guy coming that's closing on your returner and just screen him off. He's still going to score. He turns. He sees him. He lowers a shoulder and puts a shoulder. The, the other player defended himself, saw the hit coming, cringed, the braced for it, got popped and knocked on his tail. Okay, I knew it was coming. I knew when I asked the question, Doug was going to say something like that. If I've learned anything about Doug, it's that he is old school. And I was going to be portrayed as a soft millennial. And that's fine. I have no problem wearing that in this case, if that's what you think here. But this isn't 1991 when Doug played. This isn't 1998 when Doug played. This isn't 2004 when Doug played. This is 2020. You can say the rule is bad. Heck, you can say the league is soft if you want. That's all fine. But the rule is the rule. And Doug doesn't get it, and everybody else who I saw on Twitter didn't get it. And Scott Zolak didn't get it. And by the way, Zo, it's not 1995 when you played. I I don't have to love that the rule exists, but the rule exists and the proper call was made. Anthony Jennings was going back, running back towards his own end zone. 
And when you do that, that is an illegal blindside block. I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe the defender for the Cardinals even saw it coming. But you know what? The rule is the rule. If the speed limit on a road, let me put you in this scenario. If the speed limit on a road used to be 55 miles an hour, but then it got moved down to 30, we can all cry and scream, oh my God, a 25 mile an hour drop. Are you serious? What the hell is that? I remember when this road was 55. But at the end of the day, if you get pulled over and you're going 34 miles an hour, the officer is going to give you a ticket. And you know what? When you say to him, it used to be 55 here, sir, that's not an acceptable answer. Times change. The laws change. The rules change. It was the right call. I know you don't like it. I know you think it's soft. I know it wiped out a touchdown. I get it all. I knew the flag was coming because I knew the rule. I knew the rule. The, the referee didn't even have the flag out of his pocket, and I saw there's a flag coming. No doubt in my mind. And the play that changed my – the play that – has forever been embedded in my mind is a play that happened about five years ago. So there was a receiver for the Seahawks by the name of Ricardo Lockett. Patriots fans should know that name. Why? Because that's who the pass that Russell Wilson threw that was intercepted by Malcolm Butler. That's who it was intended for. Lockett's going on the slant. Butler cuts up and gets the interception. You should know that name, Ricardo Lockett. He was playing special teams for the Seahawks. And it was on a punt return, and Jeff Heath, who was playing for the Cowboys, who now plays for the Raiders, decked him. And he ended up in a hospital overnight, and he ended up never playing again after that. His career was over. That hit ended his career. Blindside block, full speed, upended, ended his career. And this rule, I don't believe, was put in place solely because of that play. But those are the plays, and those are the consequences that they're trying to get rid of. I respect where Doug is coming from. Doug has taught me more football in the last two months than I've learned in the last two years prior. I've learned a lot from him. I love talking to him. I consider myself grateful. But I knew that he was going to come at me with this old school mentality. And again, the speed limit, maybe it used to be 55. It is now 30. You don't have to love it. But it is not 1991. It's not 1994 or 2004. Heck, it's not even 2014 in a lot of ways anymore in the NFL. The rule is the rule, and it was the right call. Complain about the rule all you want, but don't bash the officials because they got the call correct. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I want to get to this crazy Twitter takes. We didn't do it yesterday because I had some other things I wanted to get to. This one comes from a buddy of mine up in Chittenden County. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, crazy Twitter takes comes from my buddy Eric up in Chittenden County. Okay, Anthony Davis, right, for the Lakers, signs a five-year, $190 million contract. Well, he hasn't officially signed it, but he's going to. Max Steele. And Eric says, I'm all for sports players making their money and getting good contracts, but seeing these numbers while so many Americans are desperate for $1,200, it really makes me sad. I've seen this take a lot over the course of the pandemic, right? 
oh, athletes making this amount of money and we're all struggling to get by. Two, they're two separate things. They can coexist in their own worlds, okay? It shouldn't make you sad. Eric, it should make you happy that there are still businesses out there doing well, that there are still businesses out there that can take care of their employees. And you can say athletes are overpaid, and I can say athletes are overpaid or whatever, but you are worth what someone's willing to pay you. And that is what NBA players make, elite NBA players make. We should be happy that at a time when 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 the whole economic system is crumbling around us, that a business and industry is able to play to pay their best people what other best people make. Okay? Because in my business in sports radio, I've seen a lot of really great people lose their job. I lost my job as a result of COVID-19. I get it. It's hard. It's awful. And there's a lot of people who are going to take jobs that weren't as good as what they had before or are making less than they made before. Luckily, I'm doing better here than at the place I was before. I like it better. I'm doing better. It's a better place for me. So that's great. I ended up, I'm one of the few that's ended up lucky here. But, I mean, he's a, he should be able to get his money. He shouldn't have to suffer because some of us did. Because some of us still are. Or some of us were. He shouldn't have to suffer. Okay, There are some professions, like I said, being devastated and adorable. Sports media is one of them. There are also some that are thriving. Like the people who created Zoom. Those guys are rolling in it right now. If you're lucky enough to be on that side, good for you. I'm not resentful. I'm not jealous. Okay, And a lot of the NBA owners and a lot of the NBA players have done a lot for society. I can't speak to Anthony Davis specifically, but there are people who... Owners who have donated to various causes, to COVID relief, to social justice causes. There are people, owners who have money giving money out left and right. There are players who are donating time, energy, money to a lot of causes. So I'm not going to bash on them for getting paid what their, what their industry says that they are worth. If there's ones that should be mad at Anthony Davis, it's the ones who are their fellow athletes who are the ones being shortchanged because of the pandemic. Like, Look at all the baseball players that got cut yesterday. Kyle Schwarber helped the Cubs win the World Series, and they let him go because they didn't want to pay him his arbitration value. Like Those guys should be mad, not us. The, the, the pitcher that should be signing for an $18 million deal, it's going to get a $4 million deal because he can, like, or because the owners can do this because there's such a flood of players on the market. Like That's going to be – those guys should feel bad. It's all monopoly money comparatively to us, but – those athletes that are getting screwed, they should be the ones who are upset. So, Eric, I love you, but his his industry tells him he can make this amount of money. Don't be mad at him for making that amount of money. There are other industries that are doing great also that are able to step up for their employees. Unfortunately, there are ones that are not doing great as well. We feel for all of them, of course, but athletes should be able to get their money because that's what their industry says they are worth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, describe to uh, subscribe to the full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. You guys uh, have continued to just crush it. We are over 32,000 downloads. We, I don't even think we've done 32 shows yet, and we are at 32,000 and counting downloads of the Brady Farkas Show podcast for subscribing, for rating, for reviewing. I appreciate all of you. When we come back, Julian Edelman, he's been out for a while. Is he done? 
one but one loud voice thinks, yeah, we'll never see him again. Be the same. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, final segment here, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Um so the new that was a new return, everybody. Thank you. New return for who's saying what. Um, I can't believe there was one there. That was Greg Bedard of Boston Sports Journal who said that right now the Patriots are the Jets. That's as depressing a thought as I have heard in the last several. For as depressing as, as 2020 has been, that's like among the worst thoughts I've heard that the Patriots are the Jets. The first clip you heard was Michael Felger, 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston. Known media loudmouth in Boston. And I say that with reverence because he's a very good radio host. Also says some stuff that I don't agree with at all. That's actually the clip I was going for today, guys. So you put it in the new return, so let me hear the whole thing. I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. But whatever. Maybe I'm wrong about that. And I was holding out hope that he comes back and does something. And he still can. This doesn't eliminate him. But it uh, certainly doesn't help matters. So what he's referring to is Julian Edelman is on the COVID-19 list. So he'd been on injury reserve since after week seven. Now he's on the COVID list. He's not going to play this week. Still with the knee injury, now on the COVID list. We don't know if he's actually positive or if he's just a close contact of somebody who's positive. But the real meat of that is that Felger says Edelman is done. And I've wondered this for a while, and I've opined this out loud dating back to the beginning of the offseason at my former employer. Edelman's 34 years old. He's been injured now two years in a row. This year actually took him off the field. Last year he played, but he was hobbled through the entire season. Still had 100 catches last year. So, I mean, he still played well and was productive, but it was a huge struggle for him. If the team doesn't look like it's going to be good next year, does he want to be a part of it? I have I have opined now several times that I could see Julian Edelman retiring, and I can. If his knee's not healthy, he's 34 years old, if he doesn't want to go through the grind, and if the team's not going to be very good, what's really the motivation for him to play? Money, but at some point, have you made enough money that it's not worth your you know, your happiness level of being on a bad team and your physical health. I don't think Edelman is a rebuild guy. I think he's a competitive win-now when win-at-all-costs guy. I don't see him being a rebuild guy. So if the Patriots are, if the Patriots bring in Cam or bring back Cam or they bring in a veteran quarterback from somewhere else, Tyrod Taylor, uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who are free agents, or Phillip Rivers, or they trade for somebody – does that entice Edelman to stay? Does he think the veteran QB makes them competitive? If they draft a young pup, is he like, look, good luck in the future, but I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to go through the growing pains. I think it's all possible. I can see Edelman retiring because of the combination of his health and the Patriots not necessarily being as good as he would want. Or could he just want out of his contract to go join a winner? Does he want one more run at it, but it doesn't have to be in New England? I don't know. That's for him to decide, but I think he's done being the 100-catch guy that we saw last year couple for a bunch of years where he could be you know, the most reliable player on your offense. He shouldn't have to be that guy. At 34 years old, he shouldn't be that guy. The Patriots never should have put him in position to have to be that guy. 
but I don't think he's a rebuild guy. I don't think he sticks around for the team to not be very good and for him to potentially be damaged goods. I also, but I, you know, I do just wonder, would he be a guy who could, who would opt, you know, want out of his deal, go link up with Tom Brady in Tampa, go link up with Russell Wilson in Seattle, go link up somewhere, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, where the quarterback is great and the infrastructure is there to maybe win a Super Bowl. I don't know, but I do think Edelman being a huge piece of the Patriots, I, I think that that's unlikely because I don't see him sticking around if it doesn't look good. And I don't see the Patriots making a huge move that would leave you to believe that it's going to be great next year. We'll have to see. I don't know. But Patriots are going to have some cap space so they can do things. They should do things, but it's all going to depend on that quarterback position. All right, we don't have that much time. Let's get to closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. All right, closing thoughts. I saw the story, you know, and a lot of you know this. I have a dual job here, right? I also do do news, right? I do the afternoon news service 4 to 5.30. Then I do this show 5.37. And the news show isn't me opining on the news. It's just me telling you what the news is. So I read the story today that UVM is making cuts to 12 majors and 11 minors. And people who are in the know on this and people who are affected have said they really worry that what that's going to do to overall enrollment, right? Those people who take those majors, who do those classes, those professors, like you're going to take away money from the university is the concern that, well, now if you're going to get rid of geology, well, you're going to have a bunch of people who want to major in geology that are no longer going to come to the school and they all pay $50,000 a year. And that's a, a big loss of money. I only bring this up because I hope that we don't start to see this two athletics around our local community. I hope that we stay in a position where our local schools don't have to cut sports because sports do bring in a large amount of enrollment. And especially, you know, at not division one, all those kids are, they're not on scholarship. So they're paying a large portion of their tuition, Norwich, Castleton, uh, Middlebury, St. Mike's, um, NVU. Athletics is a huge driver for enrollment. So if they're worried about it from the majors standpoint, I'm worried about it from the athletic standpoint. I hope it doesn't come to that because I was I worked at a place, a small Catholic school in Pennsylvania, for like six months, and athletics was like their biggest driver of enrollment. They over-recruited teams just to get more bodies in the school. Like That's how important athletics can be to schools. And I hope that if you're seeing schools now cut programs to save money, I hope there's no cut in athletics because the money that athletics can bring in, you're bringing in, in some cases, 70 football players and 15 basketball players and 15 women's basketball players, and you got track and you got lacrosse and you got baseball and softball. That's a lot of athletes on campus. And... They're great for community pride and school spirit, and they're great for economic revenue for the university. So I hope nothing happens. Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEBradio.com. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next, and then it is ESPN Radio. We'll see you tomorrow on a Friday, everybody, on WDEV.